I just started. Right, I'll stop. I'll, I'll stop recording. I'll stop recording. Too. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the show. <laughs> right. Thanks for tuning in to episode 14 of Exit Tangent Quarantine Dispatch. Yes. The entire show is just a cool This episode. is. <laughs> yeah, it's just going to be playing Crum- Crumbling Castle on loop, like under us while we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, aren't there other songs on that album that we could also use? Yeah, but I only, uh, like... like oh, it's like, like our, it's our theme, right? Yeah, it's our theme, but also it's like only 40 yeah. minutes long, the album, so we... Oh, like, each, there, there has to be some looping involved. Episode 14 of the Exit Tangent Quarantine Dispatch. I'm your host, Miski, and I'm here with three other goons of the Antifa High Command. <laughs> um, <laughs> please introduce yourself, uh, Hector. Hector goes goes first. Yeah, I'm here to take bubblegum and kick ass, or I, I don't know how that goes. Um, here <laughs> at the border, I'm the uh, man on the street here at the U.S.-Mexican border, making sure that uh, any Border Patrol officer is swayed by my good looks and doesn't deport anybody um, back south. And uh, Noah, do you want to go next? Yep, it's it's me, the the goon vice undersecretary general. Uh, Been hard at work uh, stirring up the the revolutionaries. We're we're trying to get... (laughs) uh, free donuts for everyone. Except for cops. Except cops. And <laughs> <laughs> Hadrian? Uh, this is uh, Rear Admiral Jeff reporting for duty. We are we are set to go on the Twitter front. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Have it, has anyone been on Twitter lately? No. I have. Thankfully, thankfully I've been freed from the shackles of Twitter. <laughs> you you want to know something uh, that combines both Twitter and music in the worst way possible? TikTok. Well, uh, <laughs> I see your I see your point. Um, I was more referring to uh, Mr. Jermaine Cole, J. Cole, the illest of the ill, having dropped new music in I don't know how long it's been. It's been like what seventy two years or something. Uh, close. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, it wasn't. It wasn't like a song. You, you'd think you, you'd think it'd be a song about uh, all the stuff that's been going on, right? All the all the horrible horrible shit. And uh, yeah. he decides to, you know, be subversive in his message by just going after No Name. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah, th- this is this is, I guess, a benefit of on being on Twitter because you, you see this all unfold in real time, and I guess also know like the background behind it. Because if, if you weren't on, on Twitter or any social media and like wasn't following this, you'd. You'd see that he dropped a song, listen to it, and be like, "Okay, this is kind of weird." He's like talking about this specific person that you don't, like you probably wouldn't know about unless you knew the context of it. So knowing the context of it also just makes it weirder. <laughs> so did J Cole post a no name diss track? It so that's the thing. He like put this entire like entire Twitter thread being like like it's trying to say that it's like it wasn't a diss track and that he really likes no name and that she's like very intelligent and educated and all these different things. And then says that you know please follow no name and you know she's doing all all she can, but the song is just straight up uh, tone policing her. 
What's tone, please? Sort of try to like dictate, you know, how you should say things. Because uh, I think previously, maybe a year ago, uh, she was, I think she like put out some very like pro-capitalist tweets or some like messages and people like were calling her out for it. And then instead of calling people assholes as the norm is probably, you know, what people usually do, she just read a lot of books and then said, yeah, you're right. And then just completely changed. Uh, and you think that J. Cole would also do the same, but, uh, you know, J. Cole being, uh, the highest level, uh, mage in the, in the music industry, use all his, <laughs> use all, use all his, uh, magic and hoped for a critical role, ended up rolling a fucking one. And, and the reason why <laughs> I say it's a one is because no name just today released, uh, a song called, I think it was Song 33, featuring Madlib. Ooh, uh, I think he uh, made the the, music, the beats. And and it's about a minute long, I think. And in just that minute, she like completely bodied him. Um, you, you can check it out later. It's a, it's a good song. I think the, the J. Cole one was, I think the music sounds nice, but like the lyrics is what's the crux of the song. And listening to it and knowing what the lyrics are, having read it, it's just, the guy played himself. And then No Name just, like, sent him into the ground with this song. Well, um, I, I only have a little bit of idea of what J. Cole's priorities are based on the one song of his that I've heard, which is called No Role Models, which my sister used to be a big fan <laughs> of. And um, as, as far as I know, the, the, fir- the first line in that song is, first things first, rest in peace, Uncle Phil. Um... And so I guess, like, when it comes to the things that J. Cole prioritizes in his life, um, saying rest in peace to Uncle Phil is the first one. And then the second one is dissing No Name for being online. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the weird thing is that he puts himself down, or, like, he, at the very beginning of that that song he put out, he, he just says that... He goes on about how educated she is and intelligent, and how he's not, and like you know he should read and things like that. This guy, went, this <laughs> th- this guy went to college. He knows how to read. <laughs> he knows how to look things up himself. He's a grown man. He's not a child. I don't know. I mean, just because you went to college doesn't mean you. Yes. Know okay. How to read. Yes. That. Well. That. Yeah. That That's is, true. That's true. Misky was able to graduate uh, without having been able to read a single. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> We could we could have made a dig at all the people who concentrated in economics or something. Well, the, but the thing is, I don't know anybody that concentrated in economics. I, I, I the only thing, I, only person that I do I know is that's what I was going to say. <laughs> I was going to say I was going to mention Noah, but that's only because I remember talking to him one time about <laughs> behavioral economics yeah, when we were yeah. working together. Yeah, but Noah's like also a dust major, so like he, so we, so so the major part is where the reading happened. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I. I all zeroed that in my head and didn't want to, you know, dis this this now. <laughs> Misky, on the other hand, like looks at lines on a graph that dictate where power goes through in a nuclear reactor. Um, yeah, I don't um, necessarily. Yeah, no reading involved. It's just a bunch of yeah. diagrams. Um, but you know, Misty's gonna get paid that hella big bucks, whereas I'm going to uh, <laughs> try to find an apartment that's cheap. Correct. That is how it goes. (laughs) 
anyway, I, this, this is just like something that I like found like what thirty minutes ago while I was like helping my dad with some stuff. So, <laughs> Hector, Hector, please pick the pick the car up off me, and you're like rolling through Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This, these past couple, what week has been a fucking cesspool. But there's been interesting stuff that has happened. And when I by interesting, I mean actually uplifting things, uh, especially coming out of Supreme Court. I say that with a grain of salt because they've also done uh, another shitty thing because it's also the Supreme Court. But um, I can mention that later. Um, but are you aware of some of like the two rulings they did? There was there was a, a ruling for tr- for trans and or just generally LGBTQ rights. Um, not allowing them to be discriminated in in hiring systems. Is that what it was? The hiring process? Yeah, I think it was uh, that it can be discriminated and be fired based on their um, oh, yeah. gender. Which is kind of wild, wild in the sense that one of the uh, justices that was in support of this was uh, Neil Gorsuch. Gorsuch? Gorsuch? Gorsuch. Gorsuch. Uh, that was surprising. It was, uh, it was a 6-3, right? Yeah. Yep. And I think one of the justices who dissented wrote, like, a 100-page, like, book in response. What was the thesis of that book? (laughs) I, I, I didn't read it. Is it, was it, like, I'm a big, evil human being full of trash? I mean, probably in, in, (laughs) in legalese terms. I've read, like, some case a Supreme Court, like, like, opinions or what was it called rulings <laughs> so it, it's been such a long time that i d- don't remember the lingo for it um but they are extremely long um and sometimes sometimes they have interesting and cool stuff in them and sometimes they don't yeah one of them was a fucking like harry potter fanfic because they didn't, <laughs> they didn't think that anybody would read it uh but it won a pulitzer <laughs> yeah it was called twilight <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I haven't read it, but if I had to guess, it would probably be like this, like 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 thinly veiled, like like prejudice, but kind of grounded in this very kind of like like the the law wasn't written like with the, with these people in mind, and so it shouldn't be interpreted as such kind of conservative viewpoint. Yeah, the old originalist yeah. arguments. Yeah, I mean the Constitution wasn't didn't have uh, it wasn't written with. Uh, like women, Native Americans, and black people in mind. <laughs> or AR-15s. Or, or <laughs> AR-15s. Uh, or nukes. Or social as, media. As well. Or social media. Or the internet. <laughs> oh, man. There was uh, one Supreme Court thing, decision of sorts, that uh, did not seem to hit the news as much, although I did find out about it, so I guess it, it, if it got to me, it, it probably did, um, which is that... Um, what's the term for that like immunity thing that was super controversial that they talked about on last week tonight? Quali- Something immunity? Qualified, qualified immunity? immunity? Yes, qualified immunity. So yeah, they refused to see uh, an appeal on qualified yeah. immunity to try to overturn it. <laughs> um, so that that was the thing. I guess like I guess like the thing about like like queer rights um, was 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 a way of sort of like sweeping that under the rug. It's like yeah, you can't <laughs> get discriminated against, but like we're not gonna like allow police to be held accountable for their actions. So 
whatever. Yeah. Well, along with the ruling on um, well, essentially trans rights, there was also the ruling today, early today, on the DACA program. Yes. Uh, so another like bit of uplifting news. It, it's sort of uplifting, sort of not really. Like the uplifting part of this was uh, that SCOTUS ruled against Trump's administration in them deciding to end the DACA program, which, you know, which allowed non-citizens who were brought into this country, you know, as children illegally to apply for protection from deportation. And so what they decided, this, this, this challenge, or sorry, this decision to end the program was, you know, arbitrary and capricious. And I think that those words were from Chief Justice Roberts. That's the uplifting part of it. But the uh, other weird parts of the reading about this was that out of all the justices, uh, or I think most of the justices did believe that the administration did not, you know, do this out of like any sort of like racism towards uh, like Hispanic people, Latinos, Latinas. Uh, the only person that did think this was the case was, uh, you guessed it, uh, Sotomayor. <laughs> Uh, so she's a, a boss person mm-hmm. for, for, for saying that outright. But the other thing is that it does, in a sense, or at least this decision did also tell the administration being like, yeah, it's, we thought it's arbitrary, but if you come back next time with some better words, better wording, more explanations for what you want to do, why you want to end this, then maybe we'll decide to end it. So it's still not, you know, the, the fight's not over. Those two rulings, then there was a qualified immunity, as, as Hadrian mentioned. And then there was one more about a ruling that they, uh, I don't know who can, some organization, company, whatever, can lay some pipelines through the Appalachian Range, I think. Oh, thank God. I've been wanting to do that for decades. <laughs> yeah. I was just I was just looking at those beautiful mountains and I would like they and I was like they would be so much more beautiful if I could just frack my way through those motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And yeah, it's 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 a it's a good thing that Ruth Bader Ginsburg is on there because she was in full support of that as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like that—that that yeah. is kind of the thing where it's like you know, Justin Trudeau also supported the uh, the Keystone Pipeline presented by Budweiser or whatever. <laughs> it was announced in the recent Super Bowl ads. Yeah, yeah. It it was not actually it was not actually oil, but instead Keystone Light. It was actually <laughs> with, with the tap connecting to the to frat houses all across the country of Canada. <laughs> What do you guys think about uh, a lot of brands deciding to change their their names recently, even outright removing them? So there is Aunt Jemima, oh, um, yeah. the syrup. There is also the the butter with the Native American woman on it. I forgot what it's called. Uh, Lando Lakes yeah. is, is the name. Yeah. Um, I bring it up just because I remember, uh, isn't there like a beer called Narragansett? Uh, Narragansett. Uh-huh. I like found recently that it's like uh, the name of like a tribe. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting. I think that in the case of Aunt Jemima, 
a lot of their advertising, a lot of their marketing was incredibly racist. Um, and the time, you know, looking back on it now, it's just, it's kind of appalling. Um, in the case of Michigan, the name of my own state that I was born in comes from the name of the, of the tribes and, or what they gave to this land, um, when they lived here. So, and the names of a lot of places around Michigan uh-huh. are names of the tribes. Um, even the Lake Huron is based off the Huron tribe. If I recall correctly. Yeah, that sounds right. It's a way of honoring these people, uh, to name, you know, the, the new owners land <laughs> in places, I guess, uh, you know, forcible owners, right. Uh, after these tribes, which I think a lot of people in Michigan today feel, you know, indebted to, uh, in this weird historical context. Um, and in no way do I feel like anyone wants to change those names. Well, I don't think anyone is. I, I just asked about the beer just because, yeah. you know, I don't recall the Narragansett tribe uh, fucking brewing up a storm. Yeah. Uh, this, what, 1% beer? I forget. It's been a hot minute since I've, like, drank anything. I think Narragansett's pretty good, actually. Yeah, I enjoy it. <laughs> Naming aside, but I, I, I would—I don't know the history of the company, but uh, the bay or like one of the major bays in Rhode Island is named after the Narragansett, as well as a town and a number. And, you know, and there are places all across the, the the state that are named after Narragansett because it was the largest uh, tribe in the in the state prior to its mm-hmm. statehood. Um, and, and so I, I'd imagine the beer is an homage to its Rhode Islander roots and less like, you, you can't disentangle it from the tribe, but I don't think it's meant to be like a dig or like an explicitly. No, I mean, I, yeah, I don't think it's a, di- no, I don't think it's a dig. I mean, it doesn't really perceive it. I, the reason I bring it up is just because it's like one thing for you say your town to be named after a tribe because that's how it was named like many, many years ago, but it's another to like have this, like, I guess profit off of like this name. I mean, like if you had like mm. Cherokee beer or, Choctaw, like beer, or like other, other names like that that are just like named after tribes. Like, how would you, what would you think about uh, of that? I need to dig deeper. It, like, if there's a, because there are a lot of casinos in Michigan um, that are operated and run by Indian tribes, uh, you know, around, around the country actually. Um, and they call the casinos like Soaring Eagle and Firekeeper, but but it, yeah, but they but they ran it or like exactly exactly. If there was a beer company that was named after an Indian tribe, uh, that would make perfect sense, right? It would it would almost seem fitting. Um, if there was, uh, let's say, there's a professional sports team. Let's say there's a professional <laughs> sports team. <laughs> Purely hypothetical, of course. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and they profited off of um, a mascot or name. Uh, which related to Native Americans, um, that would be incredibly wrong. And, yeah, if it was, uh, if, if, be... if there was a sports team out there that had that, that referred to themselves using some kind of racial slur, um, it would be a little bit troubling, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah, I can't see that happening though. The NFL is so you know racially conscious. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, the the fact that there is there is um, there is very wide representation. Of, mm-hmm. uh, of all kinds of different races in the NFL, from the white coaches <laughs> to the black players. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. Oh, goodness. Uh, I, I, wouldn't see any, I wouldn't see anything like that happening over there. Yeah. Uh, 
Actually, now that we're talking about this, I, I there's there's a soda that's called Cherokee Red. Oh my god! <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> so that one I feel like is is, is being intentionally racist. Right here with the sort of wokeness that people would like to have, but backfires in their face. Uh, nearly all the time reminds me of something that Hadrian uh, sent my way or sort of a couple of days ago. Um, What's that? Which we can talk about a bit. Not It doesn't have to be too uh, much of an extent because I think a lot of discussion has already been on this topic. It's on the topic of white fragility, but mostly with the book, if you're aware of whoa, it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, uh, I don't want to talk about that. Oh, are you too fragile to talk about it, Misky? Yeah, are bones made of glass? All right, lay it on me. Lay it on me like a thick syrup. Yeah, so, so okay, Hadrian mentioned this to me because uh, people online have been talking about this book because it was it shot up to, I want to say, the, the New York Times bestseller list. Yeah. Pretty recently, a lot of, due to the fact of a lot of the protests happening and a lot of you know, white liberals wanting to feel good about themselves in this a in this era of uh, not liking the police or, or just even uh, protesting them and saying how shitty everyone's situation is, but most notably uh, black people. So this book, among a couple of others, but this is the only book that I've actually read. Um, I was able to get a copy. Um, this one is the one that a lot of people point to and uh, tell people to read. Along with some like, like movies as well as to read, or sorry, to read, to, to watch. But this is a one that is very interesting because this is written by a person who does anti-racism um, trainings at like companies, corporations, whatever, for a living. This is like her job. And this book is pretty much like an advertisement for that. Does it talk about implicit biases and unconscious thoughts? The way it approaches uh, unconscious bias is that it asserts that every like white person has this bias in them, no matter how much they say that they don't have it. So if, if you, if, if yeah. so, so she, she puts a lot of anecdotes from like her own personal like uh, training. So if she tells, if, she, if someone says like, well, you know, uh, like you say, like you know, I don't have like any bias or you know, I'm not racist. She's like, yes, but you saying that you're not racist uh, solidifies the fact that you are, or or that you don't. The fact that you don't have any biases um, just goes to show you that you do have bi- like biases. And like sometimes that is the case, but uh, when your trainings uh, end with people saying that you suck and your trainings don't work and you don't want to go to another training again. I'm not sure if that spells or bodes well for your methods. Yeah. I mean, that isn't to say that people don't have unconscious, like, biases. Um, People do that. I mean, people do have it, and people have uh, prejudice because of how they were raised or their environment. Um, But this person, uh, like, goes out of the way of, like, telling people just straight up, like, without even, like, either going around it and trying to come at them on their level or, like, trying to work with them. Is just straight up saying, like, yeah, you're racist and here's why. <laughs> uh, 
But yeah. oh, she's uh, it, it's it's really cringy, and the way that she talks to the way she describes people of color or in those situations when there's like a lot of uh, in, in rooms with a lot of white people is really weird. Especially with like there's one interaction that that a lot of people on Twitter shared, which uh, an interaction she had with a web developer who um, was I believe a black woman, and the author made a joke. Uh, about her hair, I think. Uh, and she didn't intend it to be very, like, uh, you know... Well, I think it doesn't really matter at this point, like, what she, what she intended or not. But it came off as really weird. Especially, this is the first time that they had met. And, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a weird book, but I completely understand why people would want to, like, buy into it. Because it just makes people feel good about the shitty situation that everyone is in at the moment without actually wanting to change things. Like, rather than actually telling people to read, say, like, like Black Voices, like Angela Davis or Franz Fanon or, say, James Baldwin, a couple other people, Malcolm X, I guess, Ma- uh, Martin Luther King. Jabuki. Jabuki. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that, that, that person does not miss. Um, the end of the the book white fragility where it recommends other literature to read i don't i think I, I i went through it it doesn't mention any of these people that i mentioned i i will ask very importantly should i read it do you think i should read it i think it's funny but i i wouldn't go into it expecting um any like sage advice um, yeah yeah it's it's it like I haven't read the book, but my impression of it from what I've heard from others and from passages that I have read is that um, it, it explores this topic entirely within the context of her diversity trainings that she does for a living and like workplace diversity trainings. And so like the uh, the sort of like zone of the workplace, first of all, is like, like, I don't know, like this is just some like, like, like it's sort of linked to a general anxiety that I have about the world that like, like, like employers just want people to like, 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 like work to subsume their entire lives. And that's worrisome. And, and I think that, that conflating, like trying to, uh, trying to address, uh, these issues of like racial tensions and all of this sort of stuff, like through workplace diversity trainings is like sort of part of that sort of bastardization of the human experience, Mm. Um, so like, I wouldn't recommend that people read it like for, for that reason alone, just because it's like, you know, yeah, you should, you should like, you know, read, like you should read American history. Like you should read the, like, like, like you should read from black authors. Um, you should talk to people of color, um, as strange and as scary as that may seem. <laughs> um, <laughs> you don't want to frighten them, Hadrian. <laughs> but but no, you do make a very important point. Um, I, I did forget to bring it up. The the workplace, the fact that all of this stuff in the book happens in the workplace, is important because there's also yeah, there's different dynamics there, and like telling people that they you know need to stop being racist, even if like say they are or there aren't or have like some prejudice within them. Um, but like telling people that, like you know you kind of like your job is at stake. Uh, putting all this pressure. Yeah, the power dynamics is very different in that respect. And, um, but again, you can read it or even for like those anecdotes for yourself to see how she approaches people. And it's just really weird. And I don't think how people should talk to each other. 
And it makes me wonder how MIT is going to do this sort of stuff in the near future, especially when a lot of people in the community have called on, yeah. uh, on, on, on MIT to, to shape up, <laughs> essentially. Did you guys... Did you guys see the black? Was it Black Grad Students Association had a petition? Yeah. Uh, was that was that the was that the Black Students Union just in general, or is there like a specific one for graduate students? I think it was the Black Student Union and the Grad Student Association. Hmm. Um, together, I would need to check my email again to check, but I mean, I don't know how much how much it matters. I I don't particularly interact myself a lot with either of these groups. Um, yeah, and I'm also like not trying. I'm not trying to involve myself with MIT's affairs anymore. It's like <laughs> I heard about the petition, but it's like it's none of my business at this point. Yeah, yeah, I, I did see it, um, and it, it talked about. Well, I talked about it had two it had two proposals um, that it had, and it was just asking people whether they were for one proposal or for the other, or for both, or for neither, or for a different one, or indifferent things like that, and I think. The overwhelming amount of signatures that I saw on there were all for both. Um, one of them was, uh, I'm trying to remember, one of them was for, it was calling on MIT to revisit um, a proposal that they had looked at back in 2015 that I think that that union had given them and that the union saw that uh, some of them, some of the like points that they were tr- they had made and were wanting MIT to work on had been worked on for a uh, a progress rate of zero percent, as in like n- nothing has happened with those things. <laughs> a progress uh, rate of negative five percent. They became more racist. Uh, uh, yeah, th- th- thanks to the thanks to the interference of the visiting committees, your oh. environment is now more racist. <laughs> uh, uh, so. I believe that was one proposal, and then the other one had to do with the police, and it talked a bit about uh, reallocating funds, and I think even going so far as to even saying defund the police, as well as mentioning uh, various instances of people feeling very unsafe around uh, either the police in general, or all, but also specifically MIT PD. So, uh, or I think it was also talking about just uh, nearby police in general, because that sometimes might uh, jump in when it really should be MIT PD. But anyway, uh, so that is the p- petition that's been going around. Um, it was like one thing, but I've also seen uh, departments talking internally about what they should do. A number of departments, including my own departments, in past, you know, in past because I am no longer a student, um, but some of my departments as part of uh, participate with uh, what was it shut down STEM hashtag or whatever? Um, hashtag abolish STEM. <laughs> <laughs> not not quite. Um, Defund STEM. <laughs> <laughs> divest from STEM. <laughs> Please don't. I do like my science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Um, but yeah, I saw departments that I'm part of or was part of uh, choose to hold talks instead of just. Work, you know, operation is normal, uh, and that was that was heart, you know, heartening. It, it it was good to see. It was good to see that people actually took some time out of their day, because you need to have conversations, or people will continue to hold certain prejudices uh, 
I don't know who started that, um, but doesn't really matter. I'm glad it happened. There was a there was an email thread um, in in the DUSP, which is the Department of Urban Studies and Planning. I mentioned it earlier, but I'm going to reiterate that now, um, or I'm going to say what it stands for for the convenience of the listener who may not know. Um, <laughs> I also didn't know that. Yeah, and. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> Um, and, uh, it was, a there, there was just this very long email thread and then like it broke into like 10 other email threads because people don't know how to use email. Um, and it was just like a, like a discussion about like what DUSP should do about, um, like, like, like should, should do to like address these issues. And I didn't read it that closely because there was a lot of like self-congratulation and like patting each other on the back for having <laughs> asked these questions in the first place. Which I thought was annoying, um, the, but like there were some like interesting points that were brought up. The the, the most the most uh, prescient of which to me was the fact that like um, like most of the people that go through the department are master students, um, and so they're only there for two years, and so like it's very easy for um, for for a department in that situation to have the same conversation over and over again on a cycle as people like when the attrition rate, I guess is so high and not, not, not because like it sucks to be at the department. In fact, I think it's a very good department to be in. Um, but just because like the nature of the proportion of people who, who are going for certain degrees, like it's like, it's mm. overwhelmingly master students. And so like all you, the only people that really like stick through it are like the few faculty members who are, who are in the department. Um, and so like they, they can like talk about these things, but like, it's very easy to, for it to like, you know, slip your mind of just like, you know, people suggesting like, Oh, like have more black scholars in the curriculum or like hire more black faculty or like all of those sorts of things. It's like, it's great to like make those suggestions, but it's very hard to like, you know, internalize those and like, you know, God forbid, like we end up in a situation like this again next year or the year after, which, you know, who knows? It, it's, mm. you know. Um, like be, because there are so many master students and they make up so much of the student population of this department, like it, it seems like, you know, it's in danger of just being like having that threat again, having all those same suggestions made and having the same congratulatory emails be written. Um, and that's kind of worrisome, but I don't know. Yeah. I, uh, I, I have, having been in the department as well, like I, you know, like the last two years before this, I heard complaints about the the first year master's curriculum and the taking of those classes this fall or last fall. I heard those complaints again, and, and it seems that like th- th- there is just no institutional memory whatsoever. You know, it's it's so limited. You know, even amongst undergrads, like where we're here for four years, and so for like for, for that department, as you're saying, it's just practically impossible to to kind of maintain momentum for change. It has to exist within the faculty because they they are there longer yeah simply i watched a uh, an episode of hassan minaj's show the patriot act oh yeah we talked about him on the uh, on the like after we ended the call last week or not ended the call but after we ended the recording last week yeah it was a, it was a good show I, I enjoyed the section of it that i saw and it talked about how colleges are hiring more lecturers and assistant professors instead of tenured professors and that might have something to do with it. I don't know what the fraction of staff who are tenured, or fa- fraction of faculty who are tenured in DUSP is. MIT doesn't have non-tenure track professors, which is actually one of the 
pretty awesome things that the institute does. Yeah, that's good. Uh, there's a small handful of lecturers, but it's almost all tenure track faculty. Yeah, as opposed to Harvard, which there's like three tenured professors at Harvard. <laughs> Wait, is that? Do you, do you think it's like within dust mainly, or in general at MIT? Because I've like heard, well, I've read otherwise. Well, there are lecturers at MIT. There are people who have educational degrees who are hired by departments to teach classes. Or they're postdocs or, or like grad students themselves. And in some cases, it's because people want to be in that position. Like, like Dormashkin wants to teach full-time, and, and people love him. So like, I, like I don't think lecturers like, in of themselves, like, like that position is a problem. Yeah, in fact, I would prefer that lecturers teach classes over professors who are famous and do a terrible <laughs> job of teaching. Yeah. Here, here, here's some MIT history, I guess. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned it to you guys before. Maybe. So there was a group called The Thistle, which was an alternative news collective that existed at MIT in the late 80s, throughout the 90s, maybe early 2000s, I think. Um, it's, from what I can tell, they're like, it's like a mixed bag of good stuff and eh. But when they, I think when they did start, um, before they were even The Thistle, they came out with a thing called the Disorientation Manual. Um, it was like a booklet that they gave students, I want to say, for orientation 1989-90. And it has like a bunch of instances where MIT did very shitty things. One of the instances was the stuff they did with the tenants and homeless people living in University Park, which is where that is located now. There's also its relationship or its involvement in South Africa with during apartheid by deciding not to divest when people were calling on it to divest uh, from whatever it is they were doing. I don't remember. Uh, but one one thing that actually did stuck to me was, uh, well, because you mentioned the tenure thing, because there was in it written about uh, women at, uh, female professors at MIT uh, that were trying to seek tenure um, because this was, I think, a, little, a couple years later, uh, it was uh, written about, there was even a. I'm trying to access this, this this article from the New York Times, but it's being a fucking asshole about it. Can't access it. Um, it's titled "MIT Admits Discrimination Against Female Professors," but I can't. I can't. I guess I can't really comment on it because I can't read it. Not only that, but it was also published 30 years ago. So right, it, yeah, it's possible that something has changed since then. Well, I, I hope it is. I, I just mentioned like I, I I don't know if you guys were were had said it. It was like had always been like that, but I I, I wasn't sure. That's why. Does it shock you that 30 years ago was the 90s? Or, the, or was 30 years ago was 1990? <laughs> can, you, can you believe that 1990 was 70 years ago? That's so wild. Can you believe yeah. uh, people uh, born in 2008 are 24 years old right now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's my wild. God. Uh, uh, how time flies. Oh, man. Well... I mean, with the, with the booklet, actually, uh, if I, it's like in my boxes, I think. If I scrounge around for it and find it, I'll try to read through it again because I might actually bring it up here because it is an interesting thing and also send you guys some pics too so you, you guys can see it. Because um, uh, there's a lot of history that I've read of MIT that is interesting, funny, fucked up, and l- lame. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, and but in that order, in in that order, but something that's not lame and something that is actually very funny was a couple days ago the LAPD announced that well they didn't announce this 
Um, it was, I think, internal internal um, emails, but I guess I guess it leaked maybe, saying that they uh, ran out of money, or they're running out of money <laughs> to pay their, uh, their to pay their officers overtime because they, apparently they've racked up more than forty million dollars in overtime due to the recent protests. Excuse me, and they're not going to be paid for it. They're going to be they're going to be given comp time instead. They have endowment. Are you saying that the LAPD are volunteer vigilantes now? <laughs> they, yeah, they are the watchmen. And it was pretty cool. It's uh, you know one in, one one example of something that's working these past couple of weeks. Yeah, well, you know they're gonna use that as justification that they need even more money in their budget. Yeah, and you know who's gonna give it to them? The education department. That's right. Oh yeah, they're gonna fucking divert money from from schools over there oh guys guys hot idea all right you uh you get rid of the schools all right tear the schools down and then you just have all the classes at the police station (laughs) (laughs) every every class period is now scared straight (laughs) correct and it will really improve uh with the efficiency of the school to prison pipeline (laughs) just think about that Yeah. Well, I don't want to think about that. (laughs) I don't really know. I was thinking about, like, you know, the stuff about, like, you know, police and prison abolition, these ideas that I still haven't read about. Um, like I still, the Alex Vitale book has still gone unopened and I still haven't also looked up anything by Angela Davis, unfortunately. Um, but you know, I still like to think about things even if I don't know very much about them and that's how, that's how you learn, I guess. Um, when I was growing up, um, I sort of noticed that the staff members of the school in general, um, were very hostile to us. Um, that there was this sort of like, what's, what's the word, um, adversarial relationship, um, between us and the people who ran the school. And I noticed that a lot of the time, um, the reason that things would like flare up as incidents, you know, like people would like start to, you know, get a rowdy as they say, um, was not always the fault of the students. Sometimes it would just be that, some, you know, adults would assert, try to assert their dominance over the students and the students would be like, fuck you. <laughs> and, and, and then things would just sort of escalate from that. One example of this is, um, you know, my junior year, I, I, I took this like aerospace engineering class where we didn't really learn much. Um, but the teacher was cool and he would teach us, he would talk about SpaceX, um, back, back when Elon Musk wasn't canceled, I guess, um, <laughs> When he wasn't there, like, it was always a complete disaster because the substitute would always be, like, the worst person imaginable. Um, but there was one instance where there wasn't a substitute at all. Like, he was just caught up in a meeting and he was running late to class. And, um, you know, someone came in and just immediately, you know, was like, y'all kids better stop talking. And it's like, well, what else are we supposed to do? There's nothing to do right now. Um, and then, you know, she was just like, I'm going to call the assistant principal. 
And then the uh, curriculum director of the school walks in and she's like, do you kids not have any home training? It's like, she'd only been there for half a second. She had no idea what we even did wrong, but she was just like assuming that we were pissing the floor like dogs, I guess. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, obviously we didn't really react well to that. Um, Excuse me? Well, that's why else would she ask if we didn't have home training? Um, <laughs> and I sort of think about these incidents, like, you know, growing up in school about how shitty, like, the adults were a lot of the time um, in, the, in the framework of, like, you know, policing and prisons and all that sort of stuff where, like, it seems that there is this phenomenon that I have experienced anecdotally through many years of my life, you know, before coming to MIT, that if you treat people like criminals, they're going to act like criminals because you're treating them like criminals. And, you know, maybe if you didn't immediately assume the worst of everyone all the time, maybe they would have room to have good intentions and to be good people and to do good things. Yeah. Um, instead of just being like, oh, like, we're going to, you know, stop you on the street and search you for drugs because, like, because that's what, that's what you people do or whatever. Like, you criminals, you, you New Yorkers just walking around going about your <laughs> business or whatever. No, it's just because they have, like, massive, massive cocks. And that's what the cops are searching <laughs> them for. Yeah, they're packing. You're, they're packing heat? Let me search you. And then, uh, it's just disgusting. That's how, uh, that's how a certain type of adult video starts. Um, <laughs> so, so, what I would say to that is, I've heard, I've heard that there's some behavioral science that goes into... Uh, people tend to take on the traits that are prescribed to them. In that if you tell a kid over and over and over again that they are a bully, for example, um, that they will start to believe internally that, oh, I'm a bully. I'm not a good kid. Like, it is part of my being to be a bully. And even though they internalize, like, internally might not have, like, thought that, you know, they'll start to think, oh, like, it's okay for me to be a bully because, like, that's what people think of me. Like, I'm playing this, like, part in this, like, cultural icon or whatever. Um, and it happens on the other side, too, in that if you tell a kid over and over and over again that, oh, you're so smart, you're a very intelligent child, um, they'll continue to try and strive and achieve to fit that model prescribed to them. And the question I have for the group is, what do you think of this idea? And have you, like, seen this in your own life, own life in any way? Yes. I think that's absolutely true. Like, and I think it works even on kind of like an individual level. Like, like in the context of forming habits, it's helpful to, to think of yourself as like a person who has the habit that you're trying to form. For example, like if, say, you never exercise and you always say, like, oh, like I'm, I'm not a person who goes to the gym. Like that's not as productive as saying, like, I'm a gym person who just happens to not you know, be going as much as I want to right now. Oh yeah. That is, that's an interesting way to think about it. That's very positive. Um, yeah. And I think that, um, you know, I obviously don't want to speak to your experiences, but I'm going to assume that because <laughs> we're all, because we're all MIT alums at this point, um, that, you know, growing up, we were all told that we were smart to some extent. Yeah. Um, I don't think any of us grew A few up. Times. I don't think any of us grew up in the like, super toxic, overly competitive, like overly demanding, like Bay Area type no. places. 
Um, so, so we're, I guess, lucky enough to not have that experience, uh, pushed upon us. But, um, there, there is that kind of thing where it's like, where it's like, because I was told that I was smart, you know, from like kindergarten, right? Like I was put in the talented and gifted program oh, shit. at a very young age. Same yeah. here. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like that kind of like that, that, that put me in like a success cast, um, that like yeah. that allowed me to like you know float above and like take the honors <laughs> classes and then take the AP classes and like for me I was like lucky and hardworking enough to like make it all the way to MIT which nobody expected of me um, I'm pretty sure um, well well that's what you, that's what you would think well yeah actually saying that out loud I do think that people did did expect that of me but like it's it sort of sounds kind of like like I don't know it's it it sounds more humble to say it the other way I don't know yeah. <laughs> That that day in kindergarten when they were discer- discerning <laughs> when they were discerning the babies which would be placed in the gifted program, they were looking at they were looking at two people, one of which was you, and another person was another equally smart baby, and they were like, you know what? Let's send this baby to the dark dark pathway. That baby, <laughs> Albert Einstein. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, look what happened to look what happened to that baby that didn't get picked. He became a nuclear physicist, and then what? He died. That's right. <laughs> oh golly! I also share the same things with with Adrian. Um, like looking back with like the whole GT thing, I don't know if it's still a thing now. I think it is. It's really weird, um, and because I distinctly remember going to a specific class for. GT crap or whatever and doing things. Um, it, it's like a weird way to like separate you from, um, from, from the other kids. Uh, yeah. And look, yeah, looking back, I uh, definitely didn't like it, but it did give me an excuse to use a computer. So, <laughs> and uh, I think at the time, like we were still using floppy disks. So um, it's pretty good. I actually remember this is no joke. This is completely 100% real. No fake bullshit. I wrote a screenplay for a short play called, I think it was called Puss in Boots and the Three Princesses. I think that's what it was called. It was like a short thing, a short skit that we had to do for some competition or whatever that they like told us to do. So I just like, you know, typed away. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a horror show. It brings me nightmares. I did a lot of fiction writing that went nowhere when I was a child. On the computer, I used the the I used um, various fonts. It was very fun. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's kind of crazy. I, I heard that they just put a bunch of kindergartners in a room, and eventually they wrote Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys seen the movie Robocop? No. Uh, yeah. Which one said yes? Wow, that's two for four. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, uh, the original Robocop, not the 2014 one. Still no. no. Was that a no from the person who said yes? No. Uh, <laughs> fuck. I, okay. okay. <laughs> I think you screwed yourself there. I, I did. Um, okay. I bring it up just because I watched it a couple days ago, and it is a fan fucking-tastic movie. Um, it's great. It, That's good. It's really good. And it made, it made me laugh a lot. And Because um, 
I remember people, um, or I came across a video that was talking about it, but I wanted to watch the movie first. And I remember it's like, ah, oh, this is a movie about a robotic cop, huh? You know, given, given the times that we live in now, I thought a perfect way to spend my, you know, Monday afternoon by watching this cop movie. Um, yeah, but it's not like that. It, it uh, it's a, it's a great satire movie. It's also a great action movie. It uh, toes the line between the two really well. Because normally you'd want something to either take itself seriously or not. This does the both. It, it, it does the both things. Um, and it's pretty good. It's also good satire of uh, American consumerism and, well, I guess also corporatization um, in, in the movie. Is uh, Robocop an 80s film? It is. All right. So that's, first of all, height of the Cold War. So very risky to be criticizing consumerism. Um, and second of all, um, at least 90% of the movies that came out in the eighties had some variation on the song danger zone. Um, <laughs> you know, it's called something like, like, uh, like wish your best life or like go forward tonight or something. Um, d- did RoboCop have something like that? Uh, no, it, the, the score was actually pretty good. Um, and I, I think that the remake actually has this, the same, like, I guess main song, but it's like not played well or like in the right times. I guess I don't know. It's <laughs> it's really weird. But uh, I think with the Ameri- with the the digging at uh, consumerism aspect, it's mainly I think part in when they there's commercials in the movie. So like it's interesting because it, uh, the way it's structured, it, it has like some news uh, like clips from like a news program as well as commercials interjecting the movie. So it's like kind of like you're watching television in a sense which also makes sense given that it's like the 80s as well uh it's really good um but it's also mostly about uh like corporatization and also just how, how robotic people get because or, or become out of like these corporations yeah it, it's a it's a it's a really great satire um d- really highly recommended for me um yeah and it's also just really funny. I mean, like you, you see you, the beginning of the movie. You see someone get fucking blasted by a autonomous like uh, dr- like killer robot. And the first thing that someone says after he's like brutally mutilated by like tens or hundreds of bullets is like, "Can someone get a medic?" <laughs> <laughs> the guy was like shredded to pieces. Um, uh, man, it's 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 really hilarious. I think I, I think I will check it out because, like, uh, the other thing that I wanted to point out about '80s movies is that some of them are actually extremely good. A lot of them are not great. Uh, a lot of things about the '80s in general are not great. Reagan, for instance. Um, but like, um, Die Hard. Mm. I, I remember watching <laughs> Die Hard. Um, I, I don't remember under what circumstance I watched it for the first time, but like I, I, don't, I haven't watched a lot of action movies, so this doesn't mean much. But this is the best action movie that I've seen. Like perhaps it's up there with like Edge of Tomorrow, which is one of the which is another one of the eight action movies that I've seen. Oh, you like you like Edge of Tomorrow? Yes, I have the. I think I, ha- I have the manga. Uh, All you need is kill. It's also really. good. I didn't even know that that, that there was a manga. Yeah. Wait, well, wait. Is that just? Am I thinking of the right movie? Right, give me give me a sec. Yeah, it, it's the it's the right uh, connection. The movie was based off the manga. Okay, because it used to be marketed "Live, Die, Repeat." I think. No, no. Yeah, that was the tagline for the film. Okay, you know what? I don't care anymore. Sorry. Um, no, no. It's <laughs> Edit I, this I, out. I, no, it's because I forgot whether "Live, Die, Repeat" came first or if it was "Edge of Tomorrow." 
there was like some weird marketing thing, but I, 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 I liked the movie. I liked the concept, saw that it was based off of manga, bought it, loved it. It was, it was really good. Um, so good choice. Um, but I, I agree with your thing on, um, on 80s movies. Because uh, I, uh, I, was, I was thinking back on horror movies in the 80s. Um, specifically the, uh, the Friday the 13th series, because, uh, if, if, if you're familiar with Reagan and his administration, the things that they perpetuated during the eighties, such as, uh, like good Christian values or what they deemed to be good Christian values, as well as how it, like Reagan, like bungled, or I guess bungled is putting it lightly, how he completely like shat on the AIDS epidemic that was going on at the time. and I don't know if he necessarily shat on it. It's like he... Uh, he didn't do anything. Up until, up until 87, I think. It's like, it's like the extroversion of slept on. It's like he had a coma around it. Well, <laughs> probably. I, I'm, I, I, I am going like, to look more into it. Um, I'm hoping... Well, I don't know if the book that I'm reading right now will actually talk ab- about that specific thing, but it, it is going to talk about Reagan. Um, but yeah, it is. It is weird how he's saying like the government is spending too much money, and then just completely ignoring this epidemic. It's like it's like let them figure it out, I guess. Um, yeah. Well, I, yeah. I, I, it sounds like today. Oh yeah. De- oh fuck. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, History doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. <laughs> it's a. T- yeah. It's a. His, what is it? How George Lucas says like, it's all a circle. It's a sickle. It's, it's sickle. Cyclical. It's a sickle. It's a sickle and hammer. <laughs> <laughs> um, time, time is a flat circle and it rhymes with itself what it's poetry man it's poetry no but i bring the the friday the night series just because uh using under the context of yeah of like the reagan years in the in the 80s it makes a lot of sense of of why people act the way they do or or, or, or why things happen in the movies the way they do as as in i'm trying to remember uh, jason there you go I, there's like a lot of killers uh, uh movie uh, killers that I like can't remember some of them uh, like killing a bunch of uh, teenagers uh, or young adults in, in in a camp for having intercourse right um, which the was the ultimate a, crime in the 80s yeah uh, I mean according to Reagan um, or at least like his administration and uh, as well as I think the stuff that his wife would would say um, it, it was yeah not a crime itself but it was frowned upon um it wouldn't get you into heaven yeah well yeah <laughs> so much to the point that all you'd see in in the like friday the, friday the 13th movies is just like a bunch of these teenagers just dying but the interesting thing is uh, I, i've only seen a couple of them sporadically um because there's a lot of friday the 13th movies i also didn't realize that freddy krueger was secretly like a like a, a beacon of justice to uh deliver upon teenagers <laughs> having premarital sex <laughs> That's an interesting interpretation. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, you missed that part of sex ed, huh? <laughs> well, I did have abstinence-only sex ed, but they didn't mention Freddy Krueger. They also didn't show oh, us any of the pictures of the STDs. So they were missing a lot. Well, um, maybe that's also related really, with Freddy Krueger, but at least specifically with Jason. The movies, as they ramped up in uh, numbered titles, so it's like Friday the 13th, 54, whatever... As the movies progressed, the things that the characters would do would start to resemble more of like, start off with like, say like sex, but then it would go into weed. Uh, and then as the 80s progressed, it went into like uh, people do using cocaine. Um, 
and but that uh, was normal. Like everyone was doing cocaine. It was it was like it was like how like in colonial times everyone drank beer because the water was dirty. Like the air was just <laughs> fucked up in the eighties, so people had to snort cocaine to like to filter it. Okay, sure, Hadrian. <laughs> you weren't there. Shut up. <laughs> I mean, the reason I mentioned that is more because of I guess the people that um, say like these things were targeted at because see with cocaine um, is partly related to the uh, like the Iran Contra affair because if you like remember it. Um, I don't know if it's necessary to like go into like the overview of the actual uh, like scandal, but a part of uh, a side thing that people found out was that uh, that the U.S. Uh, was getting cocaine from the Contra fighters and smuggling it into the U.S. Um, I'm trying to remember if it was like as, as uh, I, de- I know it was a way to introduce it into um, communities, but I forget like how it was in relation to like the contra fighters themselves. Whether it was like to give them money, also to like f- fund them. Wait, are they introducing cocaine to American communities? Yeah. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean they, they, they put they put it in recording studios across California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I uh, I don't want to I don't want to interrupt here, but I, I have to go eat dinner uh, soon. Yeah, I was I was gonna cut off the episode after this conversation. So let's just let this come topic come to an end, and then we'll we'll fuck off into this good night. <laughs> All right. To not gently fuck off into the good night. <laughs> yeah. Isn't isn't that how the isn't that how the poem goes? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I have anything else to offer except uh, a last minute question for you guys. Uh, Tom Tomboy Hooters or Femboy Hooters? <laughs> what? You got Hector here with the final Yahoo. Is this a question? Tomboy Hooters. I'm also Tomboy Hooters myself. This is the end of the exit tangent. Well, now I'm no, now Miski ruined it. <laughs> <laughs>